after breakfast What's before lunch? It's Austin, Texas It's weird brunch I watched Dark Waters and it's about DuPont and oh, yeah, I saw that. Teflon right? and Mark Ruffalo's in it and it's fucking amazing. Mm. I saw your tweet about it and I'm not going to watch it because I love my nonstick shit. I'm getting rid of all of my nonstick shit and that sucks because some of it was on my wedding registry. My... Oh. It was only one thing, but okay. still. My grandfather either worked for... DuPont or Dow. I know he worked for Dow, but I don't remember if he worked for DuPont before. He mm, may have. Before the merger. Mm-hmm. But he did get a letter from uh, the president that was like, hey, thanks for your work in building PVC pipe for World War II or whatever. Wow. That's cool. That's all I know. Did y'all see this fucking Corey uh, Feldman shit? Uh, what what? I, I mean yeah the the documentary put out but it didn't actually work unless you were there in person because the streaming service went down it was hacked mm-hmm. it was, oh yeah it was Wait. hacked right sorry mm-hmm. <laughs> he streamed a documentary so he yes. made a do- so you know about how his life no okay about so uh, child abuse in hollywood yeah oh shit you know how he's been like i've got names i've got names right, right. i've got names for like 10 years yes um, so he was like, I'm going to name these names in this documentary, pay $20 and watch this one time only streamed thing. So all of these people paid $20 and the other night it's supposed to stream. It goes into like 12 minutes. It gets cut off. And then he, right before he's like, and their names. What? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he's also screening it, um, like in a theater at the same time well he turns the theater lights on he's like we're not gonna watch this until everybody can watch this and then i saw all these things that were like you know one it was definitely like it was being hacked um and that's where like the the by jeffrey epstein's fans well just by epstein let's be real um (laughs) still alive and then i saw another (laughs) thing that was like yeah not only didn't he kill himself but he's not even dead at all alive um <laughs> he lives in Hillary Clinton's basement. He lives um, in Jerry Sandusky's house. <laughs> oh, the sand castle? Yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. Um but yeah, and then I saw something else about like all these guys in suits come in. Um and then like he, you know, he, of course he's like we know, like the Hollywood elite is who's hacking this right now, blah blah blah. Well, people stayed <laughs> On the streaming service for like two, three, four hours with nothing playing. Uh, I mean, why not leave it up? I'm sure people were yeah, recording it as it was yeah. up. Just leave so, it in the background. Yeah. Play some Minecraft. Yeah. Um, and then the people that were there, I saw the next day that the only name he named was uh, what Harvey Weinstein. Who's the tiger guy? No, Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. Yep. Oh. So apparently Charlie Sheen raped Corey Haim. Yes. Oh. And used like Crisco as lube or some shit. Yeah. And like did it Weren't in broad they daylight. Like yep. the same age? Mm-hmm. I mean, not that no. that can't happen, but I like thought 10, 10, ten years, years difference. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. But yeah, it's like, uh, here's my theory. He made 10 minutes of documentary, ran out of money, but had the obligation to meet this release date. And that's what happened. Well, you know how he made some of his money was some reality TV show and like mm-hmm. all ugh. it's just it I don't know 
Also, like, don't name the name that you've already named. Well, Grow up. I, you know, Corey Feldman, Corey Feldman is weird because he's sort of like, do you remember yeah. Jose Canseco? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like Jose Canseco is the reason we knew about steroids in baseball, which is a big true deal. And that was a huge thing mm-hmm. and testimonies in front of Congo. But Jose Canseco himself is a clown and also was part of the problem. I feel like that's the Corey Feldman thing. Like Corey Feldman and Rose McGowan to some extent are both, I believe them about a lot of things, mm-hmm. but the way they go about it, it's like, you're also part of the problem somehow. I just, you know, hmm. like I, I can't be like, Oh, Corey Feldman said it. So it is, it is now gospel. It's more like Corey Feldman's talking again. Can somebody else step forward with this information? Yeah. Somebody with a little less weird motives. Mm, and better jackets. And yeah, less Michael Y'all Jackson worship. Y'all remember that worship. music video he put out? Like, how, how could he not name Michael Jackson? A few Jackson? years ago. Didn't he? He performed live yeah, on like, mm-hmm. and he, it was Something. with like these two girls. I feel like the they were angels? dressed as angels. Yes. Yep. And oh, they were God. like clearly like maybe strippers that he had hired. Not that there's anything wrong with strippers, but it was like, you didn't teach them a dance. They're just there to be hot next yep. to you. And it's weird. Um, but I don't know. I feel bad for him. He seems like a really he seems messed, messed up. up guy. Mm-hmm. And which sucks because he's in Lost Boys and Goonies. He was a great child actor. Fucking so many good movies. The Burbs. The Burbs. I forgot gone about that mm-hmm. movie sweet little tom hanks he's so cute <laughs> yeah that was fucking cu- love him cutest tom hanks of all <sighs> i think he's cutest and big mm-hmm. mm, or splash splash it might splash. be splash and daryl hannah is just she makes him cute mm-hmm. or or money pit i love him in money yeah. Pit because when he gets angry he blinks a lot and it makes me laugh uh, hilarious yeah wholesome fun right there i'm karina magyar <laughs> i'm lisa friedrich I'm Whitney Lamond. And you're listening to Weird Corey Feldman. <laughs> Corey Feldman's Brunch. You're listening to Weird Brunch where we're going to name names. Also, like, the title of the documentary was, like, a tale or something about, like, a the rape of, of two, two Corys or something. It was like the. Oh, jeez. Ra- don't put rape in your fucking. No, put rape in your shit. Well, I, well, I, well, I don't like that. Don't shove it in there. Yeah, well, you know, but. <laughs> yeah, well, don't force it on us. I just. I think people <laughs> should definitely say the word rape if that's what it is. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, I no. don't think there's any sugarcoating that needs to happen. See, it's because it's Corey Feldman again. Right. Like, is that the wrong thing to do? No. Is it the wrong thing for Corey Feldman to do? Maybe. Maybe Corey Feldman needs to slow down and be a better Corey Feldman. Yeah. I don't know why I'm giving oh. Corey Feldman advice. I feel he really also, weird. He also, like, the he font. Listens, so hopefully yeah, he takes probably, it. Yeah. The font of Rape of Two Corys was the same font as Lost Boys. And oh, so it's like, well, what are we missing Thou there? Oh, my God. What? What? What the fuck? Is that true? What? Okay. I'm sorry, but this is breaking, breaking news. Breaking news. That will be old news by the time this comes out. But it looks like, I'm not shitting you. Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson were tested positive for coronavirus. Bullshit. No. What? Seriously. Yes. <laughs> Feverishly typing. <laughs> they were tested positive. They're okay. Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson say they have coronavirus. Okay. Yeah, this they're sounds on like a government film. stuff. I'm crying. They're on a I film am... set in Australia, it looks like. But for the Elvis only Presley like movie. Only hundred people have it in Australia. I know. Oh my god, I'm getting texts about it right now on a group chat. (laughs) Holy shit. I hate this. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. If 
Someone okay. hug Colin. I feel yeah. like, okay, do you remember I'll hug Colin. when, is it Kareem Abdul-Jafar who had, AIDS. no, Magic Johnson. AIDS. Oh, Magic and Johnson got it's AIDS, like, yeah. But a lot of people think that maybe yeah. he didn't even really have AIDS, but the government needed somebody who was a hero mm. to kind of fall on the sword so people kind could of. see that it's it's a human issue and not. No, Ooh, I don't think this is a conspiracy. People. Like, well, and also, Magic tested positive for HIV. I don't think he ever developed in full blown AIDS, right? I think he always was just HIV positive. Whereas Not this HIV is, you get it, you got it. Oh my god! I think someone's posting about it in our work Slack channels. Oh my god! He literally announced it via Instagram with a photograph of a trash can with a glove in it. This is what is going on in 2020. His announcement starts, "Hello, folks." <laughs> Did he sign it T Hanks like thanks no, like he always does? He signed it just Hanks H A N X. Okay, he does that too. I, yeah. I fucking love Tom Hanks. Oh my god! Wow. Wow. I. Wow. Don't know what to do with myself now. So episode over. <laughs> Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson. I, I thought for a second I was like, if you're telling me that Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson are getting a divorce, I will no. fucking kill myself. No, it's much worse. Somehow. Is that worse? Oh yeah. my god! I'm, you know, look, not everybody dies. No, of so course not. They'll be, they'll be okay. Well, and they're not in their eighties. How old are they? They're, they're in their late fifties, if not sixties. Oh god, right? they're older than that. Tom Hanks is in his upper sixties, I think. Is he? Yeah, he's getting older. Rita's man. not. She well, looks. Beautiful. Oh no, he's only sixty-three. See, yeah. Okay, he's too young to run for president. <laughs> in this climate, yeah. People also search for Tim Allen. They do not. Oh, it's Toy Story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> People Tom, also what's the opposite for Tim of Tom Allen? Hanks. <laughs> I mean, for real. Yeah, seriously. Oh what God, are you t- what? what are you googling? I well, I was I, I was going to tweet like, "Oh fuck this," and put a gif of Tom Hanks, and then I was like, "Oh, I could put one from Philadelphia." <laughs> oh no. no. No, 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 no. You know, I've been leaning more into being a dark comic, but I don't think I can cross that line. I think that's beyond dark. That actually pops through and becomes light again. Because it's hopeful. It's a hopeful It film. is. It yeah. is hopeful. Yeah. He survives, right? Yeah. But Philadelphia is a really... Oh, wait, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. But yeah. um, he, he survives in our hearts. For sure. And in, and in Denzel's memory. Yeah. I never saw Philadelphia. <gasps> what if Denzel gets but I'm trying to see Lisa's <laughs> tears. <laughs> Sorry. Denzel could have it. No, Denzel doesn't have it. I'm going to Google it right now to make sure. But, okay, Denzel, coronavirus, uh, no, no results. Something about snubbed losing an Oscar. That's normal Denzel Google results. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's okay. Should we okay. do stories? I don't know what to do. Um, I have a story about a guy who was uh, on a FedEx flight and it... Oh, oh Jesus! Yep. yep. I have a story about a guy do who really? made a wish uh, in front of like a little machine and oh. it came true. Mm-hmm. Have you heard the one about the guy who uh, just ran across the entire U.S. You know, multiple times? I have. I don't I know a lot about it. Um, have you heard the one about... The mermaid? The mermaid. Or what about the one about um, the guy who was on PBS and like 
Saved America's Kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've got one about a cop with a dog who drills a lot. Oh, okay. I've got one about, um, it's a guy, but he dresses like a lady. Oh, okay. Wait. With his other guy friend yep. who dresses also like a lady. Would you call him bosom buddies? I would. Oh. Okay. Uh, that I've sounds got, more like we should spread that out over yeah. several episodes. I've got one about World War One. I've got one about World War Two. Wait, was I think was it about a private whose family? I've got one about Vietnam. Died? Okay, yeah. one about Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, did you guys hear the one about the the pirates who took over the the boat? Mm. Have you ever heard about Apollo fucking thirteen? <laughs> What about that's a story? Walt the one Disney. where it's not a hoax at the end. Ugh. Oh yeah, I forgot about how Mary Poppins was made. And the guy who fought the volcano versus wow. I mean, who could forget the guy who fought the volcano? That was such a big deal to Meg Ryan. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> You've got mail. <laughs> and sleepless in fucking in Seattle. Seattle. Oh, that's where he got it. Yeah, because he didn't get he any, to enough rest. Dang. Take a nap. Don't go to Seattle. Uh, Lisa, tell your story. Tell Somebody your story. Say It'll help you feel better. Yeah. Just yeah. get it out. You don't want me to do that yet. Okay. Okay, I will tell one. It's about a, a guy. A guy. Okay, cool. And he's not doing any Tom Hanksy things. Although it does take place in Philadelphia. No! And I'm not even kidding. Okay. Well, I'll just go to uh, Charlie Day okay. in my head. There you go. That's better. Uh, so, all right. There was this basketball league called the Continental Basketball Association. And it really, like, lasted a while. But the heyday, if it ever had one, was right around 1979 to 1983. And the thing about that time is that a lot of sports leagues were trying to start up because... What they figured out is that if you threw like four or five teams together, started up, got some people to come to the games, then the big guys, the NBA, the NFL, whatever it was, would buy your league and absorb some of your teams. Mm -hmm. This was like especially attractive to uh, people who needed to launder money because what you could do is you could start a legitimate sport thing, cash out pretty quick and pretty prominently, make it plausible that you are now very, very rich. Um, And uh, that's why Donald Trump owned a USFL team. Huh. Is my conjecture. Yep. Um, anyway, so the Continental Basketball Association was gunning to be absorbed by the NBA. Everybody thought that they might be because the NBA had just absorbed uh, the ABA five years earlier. So, and it was growing like crazy. So, this guy named Mark Stanley bought a team from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and moved them to Philadelphia thinking, hey, this is great because I also happen to just buy this old arena on the end of town. And that arena was falling apart and uh, nobody's using it for anything. Uh, but I'm just going to like paint it and it's got 6,000 seats and I'm going to call it Martin Luther King Arena. That'll mm-hmm. help. And uh, we'll hold some boxing matches in there and some roller derby because that was big. But I need something to like more than just one time kind of event. I'll buy this basketball team. They'll play there. So we moved the team to Philadelphia. They were called the Kings uh, okay. to be named after the arena. And uh, they were not that good, but they weren't that bad either. They had a couple of people who played in the NBA. Um, the weird thing about the CBA at the time the, uh, is that they had 
franchise in Alaska and Hawaii and Billings, Montana and Alberta, Canada. So they really had to travel. Like, so they weren't getting paid much. They were playing for exposure, which is mm. something anybody in the 21st century can understand. Um, but they had to take all these weird flights and that's where their whole budget went to. In fact, one time they went on a road trip to Anchorage and then they flew back to Seattle to go to Alberta where they were going to play their other opponent. But uh, they went to the wrong part of Alberta, <laughs> went to the wrong city. So they had to get back in and that don't fucking happen, though. Yeah. I mean, Canada's little provinces are not little. No, they're very large. And they w- there's only two cities in it, but they went to the wrong one. Anyway, <laughs> funny stuff like that kept happening. 50-50 shot. They never had more than 220 people show up to watch any of their games when they did play in Philadelphia. One time a guy went out onto the court to practice and his foot went through the floor. Um, so it just was like this ramshackle thing. And nobody in Philadelphia gave a shit, which is crazy because Philly is a huge sports mm-hmm. town. But like they're so unremembered that even if you go to the Wikipedia page for this franchise, which later moved uh, to Rochester, uh, they don't even mention that they were in Philadelphia for a year. They mention it briefly, but there's no like stats or anything. What about year it. was it again? 1980. Okay. Okay. This little sports team. Why did it exist? Why did it move to Philadelphia? Was it really because they thought they could sell it? I mean, only 220 people went to see it. Even Philadelphia didn't give a shit. Let's look at who owned it. So uh, this Mark Stevens guy was also into boxing promotion and the music industry, and he was investing in all sorts of musicians and uh, boxers at the time. And in fact, at one point, he uh, managed Tim Witherspoon, who was the heavyweight champion of the world in 1981. Mm. Huge boxer. And that same year, his one of his records uh, was Double Dutch Bus by Frankie Smith, which was a huge, huge number one funk hit. How does it go? You kn- Play it, because you said I would know it, and now I... I- can't think of it by name. Ooh. Funky. I love this. You guys don't know this? I don't. It sounds like Dr. John's voice. It sounds like the... It's a funk hit. Like I some kind of cat or something from... No, it sounds like the Beatles from Ferngully. That's what it is. That's what we were all thinking. Y'all didn't... It's where famous. were y'all on that? I, I remember Ferngully, but not that. It's famous for introducing Double Dutch Speak to America. I'll fast forward to that. Is that what is that? Is that? Is that? Oh, okay. That? That's from Missy Elliott, so she sampled it. She this. samples it. Got it. Snoop. Th- like this has became part of like the lexicon right. like speaking double dutch was like speaking pig latin yeah yeah anyway uh that goes on for five minutes because it's a funk song but uh yeah uh so the number one hit number one boxer in the world and also this dinky little team in philadelphia and this stupid arena that nobody wants to go to all of these things were trying to launder money for his employer who was a dentist named Larry Lavin, a 25-year-old dentist just out of the University of Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, And uh, how did Larry Lavin have this much money and why did he need to launder it? Well, when he was at the University of Pennsylvania, Larry Lavin figured out that some people wanted marijuana more than he wanted to smoke it. So he started selling pot on campus. And he became kind of like the most popular guy at Penn. Hmm. 
And uh, that was cool. And like he kind of grew up poor and it was cool that he made it into this Penn's kind of a pseudo Ivy League school. Right. Mm-hmm. Or I think it is an Ivy League school. Um, and so like this is kind of helping him ingratiate and be cool. And he kind of learned, oh, yeah, you can sell drugs on the side. Still got his degree, still became an actual dentist. But dentistry is not a great way to launder money, regulated industry, um, taxes and all that. So he uh, was like, okay, well, and also the problem was the government started cracking down on pot in the late 70s. Um, and so he was like, well, okay, this, this stuff is heavy. It smells. It's hard yeah. to smuggle. Move you know what cocaine. I should move into is cocaine. Yep. Yeah. Why carry it on your back when you can stick it in your pocket? Right. Hell yeah. So he moves into cocaine and being a dentist, he's got a way of dealing the cocaine and doing all this activity without really impacting his day job or attracting too much attention. And no he starts, cocaine. He starts making a lot of money. I mean, a lot of money. Eventually, his distribution territory encompasses all of Philadelphia and the entire Eastern Seaboard. He was known as Dr. Snow. Mm. He was huge, and he was rolling in it. This is like a Walter White situation. Where is the movie for this? Because I want to watch it right now. Uh, there is no movie, but there should be, and there probably will be soon. I bet there will if be. If the McDonald's People story I brought in love is any indication. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so... He, uh, and I think there's a lot of like movies about drug dealers who get too big, who are inspired by his story for sure. Yeah. Right. Cocaine drug stories are everyone's favorite. He doesn't know how to launder the money. So he gets hooked up by this Mark Stevens guy. They have a shared love of sports. Larry Lavin has like courtside seats or whatever. To the team seats. that nobody gives a shit about. No, to the, oh. um, the flyers. And oh, okay. then like he bought a luxury box for the Eagles just so he could get the parking space. So he could sit at the 50 yard line. Oh, um, same. That kind of spendy, spendy gets attention. So he needed some more plausible stuff. So he hooks up with Mark Stevens. Mark Stevens gets a heavyweight boxer on the payroll, gets a number one hit record out there. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, this is turning plausible. And he's like, look, I'm going to buy this uh, sports team. We're going to sell it to the NBA. And then you'll be able to spend all the money you want. And no one will ever look at you. You know, we'll take a tax hit, but you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. It's like, cool. Yeah, great idea. So they bring the basketball team in total failure just like that whole thing didn't work but at that point he was so busy working on the music side of things larry lavin he was really got sucked into the music world and he was going to the clubs and stuff remember he's 25 and he's like greasing palms to try to make double dutch bus a hit by his estimate he spent about a million dollars bribing djs and record execs (laughs) and stuff to make it a big hit which worked uh because it had to be a hit for this to be a plausible thing Mm -hmm. um so he's like working that end of the business meanwhile mark stevens is in charge of the sporting end of the business uh witherspoon loses his title uh, the basketball team fails. His side of things isn't working out so well. Now he's holding on this decrepit real estate that's literally unsafe to be in on the west side of Philadelphia. Why don't they put some fucking money into that? Uh, what do you know? As soon as they sell the basketball team uh, to another city, uh, that arena just mysteriously burns down. Uh, oh, it sounds like some insurance is in. Uh, so the burning down was clearly arson and (laughs) everybody understands that and sees it, including the insurance company. So they get no insurance payout, but guess what? They do get a fuck ton of attention. Mm -hmm. They also start simultaneously getting a fuck ton of attention because while Mark Stevens is running around spending a million dollars to make double Dutch bus a hit or while Larry Lavin is running around spending a million dollars to make the song a hit and incidentally going into clubs with the record, passing it out to DJs and kids. And they all think he's, 
Frankie Smith. Right. So he's like literally signing these albums. Frankie Smith, this skinny 25 year old oh. white dentist, yeah. is signing these records by like, this like 40 something yeah. black man. Yeah, it's nobody gives a shit, right? You know who I don't want working on my mouth? 25 year old white guy? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. On cocaine? Yeah. Oh, I don't. Yeah. Well, that second part is Trying to fine. sell you weed. That's yeah. the, the rest of that. I don't want a 25 year old. Yeah. I what don't age think he do you was prefer for your dentist? Over 35. Okay. I don't think he's doing much dentistry. I'm just, I think he goes I, into the office. It, and, sure. You know, and, you know, fucks his secretary. Exactly. Does a little of the hygienist. So Sorry. while he's going around spending that million dollars on the side to make the record a hit, Mark Stevens, who's in charge of the actual contracts and money stuff, is not paying Frankie Smith. At all. So oh. this song is becoming a number one hit. It's getting played all across the country. It's Frankie's becoming like, like a funk. And Frankie, money. Yeah, I was like, where's my money? It's like, well, if you look at the contract, you don't get any. What? And Frankie's like, what the fuck? You guys are yeah. spending tons of money. You're making tons of money. I'm not seeing the money. Something's not right here. What year is this? 1981. Fucking white people. And then he's like, what's that? Your basketball arena burned down? Hmm. Frankie Smith goes to the FBI. Fuck yeah, he does. Frankie goes to the FBI. <laughs> yep. I'd watch Good that wishbone. Yeah. So they very quickly, you know, figure out uh, that something fishy's going on. They very quickly figure out Mark Stevens is a piece of shit. They very quickly find out that he hired a Hell's Angel anarchist People to burn down the arena. Love to hire the Hell's Angels. <laughs> what yeah, the I fuck? Oh, like, sorry, not a Hell's Angel. He's a Pagans motorcycle gang member. Still. My bad. Well, that puts Motorcycle gang. Uh, his name is James Horrible Holt, and he got Hell, paid cool. $12,500. Yeah. How much? Twelve thousand five to burn it down. That's not enough. Uh, the FBI finds it. this out, uh, and they would have punished Jim Horrible Holt, but he had uh, unfortunately already been murdered by the time they put those dots together. Um, by who? It doesn't say. It's in the. I mean, you know. It's in the passive Some tense. 25 year old. As most murders of motorcycle gang members are in passive it's voice. It's a bummer. Anyway, uh, so all of this attention leads to Mark Stevens getting busted and Larry Lavin's like, yoink, make that better call Saul phone call, get a new identity, move out to the coast. And he's free and clear for two whole years from 84 to 86. He's living on the coast. He's got a boat. He's got a wife. He's got a new identity. He's living it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everything's going great. It's going a little too great. Uh, in Virginia Beach because he's like kind of living lavishly inviting people to hang out on his boat come to the cookout and all that mm. one of the people he's regularly inviting onto his boat turns out to be an FBI agent oh shit yep on purpose FBI agent well yeah the FBI agent was undercover okay yeah just checking it wasn't a casual FBI relation yep and then in 1986 uh, the FBI caught a letter from Lavin's wife that she had sent to her mom and it was like that proves their identities Thanks for that. And based on the location of a birthday party venue that the letter mentions, they zip into the birthday party, pick them both up, throw them in da- jail. He pleads guilty to conspiracy, drug distribution, tax evasion, and is sentenced to 42 years in prison Ding. in 1986. Dr. Snow goes down because he didn't pay. He's a musician mm-hmm. and uh, he tried to run a basketball team. Uh, he served his time. Th- All 42 years? In 2005, he was released. He is now so currently in his 60s. Uh, he's divorced. 24 he's, years. He's remarried. Uh, he says, my wife is 41. She's the oldest woman I ever dated. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's that guy. 
He's uh, been stripped of his dental license, so he lives on a golf course in Tampa, of oh, course. No. And he's an executive with a telemarketing company called One Touch Direct. I've heard of that. Like, he, as of right now? As of right now, as of this minute, as of this month. He uh, started working at a call center, and he is a really good salesperson. And he worked his way up and got made shift supervisor and blah, blah, blah. And now he's a, you know, chief something officer at this. How old is he now? Telemarketing thing. In his thing. 60s? He's 60s, yeah. Okay. Uh, so he's got a great social life. He's giving interviews to anybody who wants them completely candid. He's already been busted for all yeah, this stuff. Right? So you there's all these podcasts all. and YouTube videos of him just being like, yeah, this is exactly how I ran the drugs. These are the guys I ran with. These are like the boats they came over in. It's fascinating. It's like perfect firsthand. This is going to be a movie. In research the stuff. next five years. Minimum. Yeah. He's clearly trying to get that. Yeah. Movie, yeah. He's movie like, movie give me that Wolf of Wall Street treatment. Mm-hmm, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the story of Larry Lavin. And uh, if you're really interested in those kind of drug stories, like from The Wire or whatever, uh, go anywhere online and Google them and you will find hours and hours of material, including a book called Dr. Snow. Uh, I can't remember the rest of that title. That sounds like a Guns N' Roses song. I know. They call me Dr. Snow. Call me Dr. Dr. Snow, how the FBI nailed an Ivy League Coke King. I see that. Yep. It has four and a half star rating on Amazon. Yeah. I might read that book. I don't know. I kind of fucking hate him for just obviously he's a dick. When you listen to him get interviewed, though, it's kind of refreshing how he's just like, yeah, it was a dick and this is how I did it. And like he's not thinking he's still cooler than that. He like admits like, yeah, it was a total fuck up. Mostly about hiring that Mark Stevens guy. Yeah. 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 I mean, he had good ideas, right? It was going great. It would have worked out. It would have worked out. Mark Stevens, by the way, got thrown in jail for tax evasion. Um, so. I, when you said he got 42 years, I was like, wow, that's way more than I expected. I thought yeah. they were going to be like, all right, you get five with like three years probation. But he was literally running cocaine to the entire East Coast. I mean, this was not a small operation. This was, he was one of those busts that takes out the supply for an entire populated area for a while. Dang. Yeah. None of those people were getting cocaine at that time. Yeah. And it was the 80s. Like, God. Really? I know. Now they had to get the cut shit from the Cubans. Yeah. God. Fucking Cubans. Like our dentist took up, you know? Uh, Um, He looks like now. He looks like an asshole. He is an asshole. Like, look, look at this. His hair. Yeah. Perpetually oh. I mean, he's living in a, like he's on a oh. boat. He's living on a boat in Tampa and an executive at a telemarketing company. He is an asshole, like just yeah. by definition, even without knowing the stuff about him being a Coke King. Oh, so you're an uh. asshole. We get it. Yeah. Got it. Um, y'all want to take a wander back into time? Back into time? Back into it. Yeah. I guess we're out of it, but yeah, we can get back into I'm all it. Fucked up now. <coughs> I'm so I, I can't know. stop. Sure I mean, I'm. Sh- it's all gonna be fine, but like, like what the fuck is our world? Okay. Anyway, well, I thought I was gonna have to take care of my kids all week because my co-parent was traveling, but now she's, now not, she's not because Tom Hanks got it. <laughs> I was I mean, like, yeah, she's like, what I'm it not takes. traveling. Yep. Yeah. If that's, if that's what, what it takes to convince us all to quarantine and he survives, then Tom Hanks is once again saved America. Saved America. America's heroes together Truly. in a way that no president. Dude, there are. I was just like, <sighs> the Simpsons movie, there's 
I, I don't think a lot of people really like the Simpsons movie. I did. And there's a part where Tom Hanks does a PSA and he's like, hi, America. Because you don't trust the government, they've given me this task to tell you about Alaska and like does this whole fucking thing because Tom Hanks has more credit than America in general. It's and true. that is fucking true. It is true. <sighs> Lisa, tell me your story. Well, it better be fucking good. God damn it. Um, let's talk about Olive Oatman. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Okay. Old tattoo face. Oh, oh, what the fuck? Um, That's a person, not a brand of breakfast. True. Okay. So, breakfast olive oil. See, <laughs> delicious olive with your Cheerios, with your oats. Great um, for your complexion, no matter how you use it. Oh, put it on your face, put it in your belly. Either way, you're good. <laughs> so, okay. Um, it's very slippery down there. <laughs> not down there. God, I wish we could have had that wink come through. <laughs> I know. The tongue click, I think, got it across, though. I did, too. Um, so, September 7th, 1937, Olive Oatman enters the world. Uh, in Illinois, she is born to a Mormon family. Oh, no, girl, you're in trouble. Um, <laughs> In 1850, the Oatman family joined a wagon train led by James C. Brewster. Uh, he was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Also, again, like with the titles of your oh, fucking shit. shit. What? My story has to do with LDS. It oh. does. Yeah. Dang. Double whammy. Um, so Brewster was like. Y'all wrong. I don't care for you. Y'all are leading this wrong. Blah, blah, like just going off on the church leadership in Salt Lake City. Okay. So then, he, you know, enter cult shit. He uh, breaks away with the follower. He breaks away from the followers of Brigham Young. And he has his own followers called uh, Brewsterites. <laughs> they love drink Brewsters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're going to go to California, which uh, Brewster claimed was the, quote, intended place of gathering for the Mormons, um, which, you know, John What's His Nuts would say different. Not Utah. Yeah, no. Um, the Brewsterites, uh, the immigrants were like, there were like 85 to 93 of them, um, somewhere in there, different accounts. And they left Independence, Missouri on August 5th, 1850. So now we're playing Oregon Trail. Um, the group got real fussy and they split near Santa Fe. And Brewster was like, all right, I'm going to go the north route. And then some other folks were like, we're going to go the south way. You know how fights happen in 1850. The south way. So Royce Oatman, Olive's father, and several other families choose the southern route. And then Royce um, assumes the command of the party. So everyone's like, all right, man, you're in charge. And he's like, hell yeah. Um, so they find this country in the New Mexico Territory uh, just wholly unsuited for what they're trying to do. Uh, other wagons gradually leave this and they're like, I, you know what? I know our goal was reaching the mouth of the Colorado, but fuck this. So they start going back north. Um not Oatman. He continues. Uh, they get to Maricopa Wells. 
And at this point, there are some folks there that are like, y'all, uh, the next stretch of where you're headed is very barren and very dangerous uh, as far as terrain. On top of that, the Native Americans out there are real hostile. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you keep going, you're risking your lives. Well, you tell me that. I'm going to jump. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so then what do they do? Well, the other families resolve to stay right fucking there. Um, but Royce and the Oatman family are like, you know what? <laughs> Fuck it. Uh, so they go into, like, just walk directly into what would be known as, quote, the Oatman Massacre. Ooh. And this is on the banks of the Gila? Gila? River? Gila. Gila? Well, like the monster? Gila? Yes. Gila? Um, Gila monster. <laughs> Gila monster. So this is just east of Yuma. 310? Mm-hmm. Um, is Tom Hanks in that? I don't think so. Don't mention any movies he wasn't in right now. Um, Sorry. Royce and Marianne Oatman had seven children, and Marianne was pregnant with their eighth during this non-Oregon Trail Oregon Trail scenario. The Oatman, which like f- uh, fuck that, fuck being pregnant while you're in a yeah wagon. I agree. Like, but I mean, seems back like then, you wouldn't be for long. Isn't that one of the cures for pregnancy? Just, just, just riding around. in a wagon. Too many bumps. <laughs> Um, if I remember my Oregon Trail right, mm-hmm. it's like you got pregnant, and then three turns later, bit by a rattlesnake. Oops. Yeah, there's a little bit grave. by a rattlesnake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so the children uh, ranged in age from one to seventeen. I mean, she was nice. a good, good old Mormon wife there, busting out eight kids. Um, on the by that point, they just fall out. Yeah. yeah. They're not even having sex anymore. Mm-hmm. She, just, Her body just doesn't know what else to do. No, it's just getting pregnant to avoid the sex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's not careful. She goes start having rabbits. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That happens. Mm-hmm. Often. Um, Dead rabbits. Yeah. On the Oatman's fourth day after they had taken off from Maricopa Wells, they are approached by a group of Native Americans who are asking for tobacco and food. <clears throat> Due to lack of supplies, Oregon Trail, Royce Oatman was hesitant to share like a lot with, with these guys. Um, these were uh, Yavapais and uh, Native Americans. Uh, they're like, psych, we didn't really want your goods anyways. We fucking hate you. Well, actually, you know when you're like at a stoplight mm-hmm. and someone's like putting their sign in your window and you're like, dude, I don't have anything. And then they get mad and they like, hit your windshield a couple of times. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what happened. So the Yavapais <laughs> were like, oh, you're being cheap with me, white man? Fuck you. So they club the family to death. <laughs> okay. Same deal. Okay. Same, same. No. Um, I mean, that's you don't pay up. Shit happens. Yeah. Right, Larry? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, uh, the Yavapais, they club the family to death, and all of them are killed except for three of the children. Lorenzo, who's 15, and he's just left for dead. Olive, who's 14, and Marianne, who's seven, are taken to be slaves for the Yavapai. Okay. After the attack, Lorenzo does come to, and he sees like his parents and his siblings are dead. Two of them are missing. He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> so he he's really fucked up, but he 
wanders until he reaches a settlement um, where like he chills out, people take care of him. And then three days later he returns to the body and bodies and buries them kind of um, the terrain was like trash. So they couldn't really dig a hole. So he just puts um, rocks. They, do their best to do like a cairn like a mm-hmm. mound uh layered on top of the bodies and then someone said that like the bodies have been reburied since then but you know who who knows you know who can even tell where bodies are buried anymore mm. especially um, out there all the rocks yes and the in the fucking snakes mm-hmm. um <laughs> fucking snakes native americans uh they took some of the oatman family's belongings um again they took like all of them well, yeah, uh, there might have been some that they were like, we're above that. We don't need this. Um, that has blood on it. After arriving at the village in the Harquahala, ooh, I did better than I thought, mountains. Oh, for hook with gods. Um, the girls were used as slaves. The girls were used as slaves to forage for food, to lug water and firewood and other menial tasks. And they were frequently beaten. So they were not treated super well, but they also, you know, were alive still. (laughs) Um, So Mojave uh, Native Americans, one of their tribes, were trading with the Yavapai fairly regularly. And eventually they were like, yeah. So they were like, oh, what's up with these girls? We, How can we help them? And then the chief's daughter was actually like, hey, um, like for real, what can we do? Her name's Topeka. Um, and so she's like, look, I'll, I'll trade you some shit for these girls. So the trade was two horses, some vegetables, blankets, and beads. And Topeka and her Mojave family, uh, took the girls with them. Um, and then like, let's see, they were immediately taken in by the family of a tribal leader so Topeka's father um and also her mother so this whole family was very like we want to we want to take care of you um they ended up giving the girls some plots of land to farm like they it was just a hmm. much much better situation um now people are like there's some misdirections here some people are like yeah they were fully adopted some people are like no not really mm-hmm. i have strong opinions that are going to come out um <laughs> i i believe that they were um one of the tribesmen said in an interview that olive was most likely fully adopted into the tribe because she was giving given a mojave nickname um and a clan name the clan name was Oak, o-a-c-h oh is that what she looked like yeah, kind of towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and the nickname Spansta, Spansa, Spansa, like Span- like Sansa. Yeah, kind of. Mm. Or like Fanta with like a couple more letters. Yeah, Spansa. Um, which is a Mojave word, and there's two different things that I found. Uh, one of them is that it means uh, has to do with unquenchable lust or thirst. Oh. And another one was it may have meant rotten womb. Fuck, those are two very weird things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like to think it's like an unquenchable thirst for life, like zest Mm -hmm. for life. Unquenchable. She probably just had a UTI. Yeah. I I mean, mean, it's the desert. You're dehydrated. Unquenchable thirst, rotten womb. That's what I think. A hundred percent. Rotten womb. hundred percent. 
Um, but she did later on say that, like, you know, in no, none of her captivity was she, like, raped or, like, forced to do anything weird. Um, so it's it's just kind of weird that they're like, oh, your, your womb's fucked up. Um, Olive would later claim that she and Marianne were captives of the Mojave and that she feared to leave. But this... Um, there was a, a, a guy named Reverend Royal B. Stratton who like got a hold of Olive and he's like, I want to write your story. But this motherfucker was racist. Yeah, of course. And so Olive saying that like they were captives or whatever, like that easily could have been guided by him. Um, and then uh, she there. There's a lot of things that contradict that. So there was a group of white rail. You can do it. Yeah. White railroad surveyors. That is. Why is that hard to say? I, that's a good. White railroad tough. survey. It's a lot of. Yeah. You got to say it with the southern. Act. White railroad. Surveyors. White railroad surveyors who spent nearly a week in the Mojave Valley trading and socializing with the tribe in February 1854. So, uh, yeah, they're saying like, hey, all these white folks were around for a week. They didn't say any like they didn't come out of their their tents or wherever they were they just kind of hid away um and then years later after she was um freed up she went and met with a mojave leader in new york city and spoke with him of old times like remember the good old days situation um so claiming that they you know forced her to stay is a little contradictory there and then there's an anthropologist who states in an article about the Oatman captivity that, quote, the Mojaves always told her she could go to the white settlements when she pleased, but they dared not go with her, fearing they might be punished for having kept a white woman so long among them. Mm, and they probably would have. Yeah, they yeah. definitely yeah, would have. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Smart. So um, she later claimed in that racist man's book um, that she was tattooed to mark her as a slave of the Mojaves. So she has these tattoos along her chin and her arms. Mm -hmm. um, this was actually part of a tribal custom for those who were tribal members and like considered family. It would ensure that they would both enter the land of the dead and be recognized as Mojaves for, uh, by their ancestors. They didn't do this shit with slaves. They didn't give a fuck about what happened to slaves right. after they died. Um, also, if Olive was forced to be tattooed, like she said she was, um, just like the markings on her face are not indicative of somebody who was like fighting against it. Um, mm -hmm. so like, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm still team. It was probably adoption into the tribe, but also like, you know, you can't just cause someone didn't fight doesn't mean they wanted it to happen. Right. Yeah. Are we victim blaming here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there was a drought um, <laughs> from like 1855 to 56. And Marianne died of starvation at the age of like 10 or 11. So just four years into this. Um, Olive also almost died. But the um, mother of Topeka uh, made her some gruel to like sustain her. So she was like kind of sliding her some food on some, the side some, some good old girl yeah a little bit of girl yeah. yum, please, yum. please mom i'd like some more <laughs> um when oatman was 19 years old so she's been out there for what is that five years 100 years 
hundred years. Um, twenty twenty's been going on a hundred years. Um, so when she was nineteen years old, a guy named Francisco, who was a, and I'm sorry, but that's just what he was called, a Yuma Indian messenger, Mm -hmm. arrived at the village with a message from the authorities at Fort Yuma. Mm -hmm. Rumors had suggested that a white girl was living with the Mojaves. Were they calling them humors? I'm so sorry. Uh, And the post commander requested her return or the reason why she chose not to. The Mojave's... That's reasonable. Yeah. Well, easy out. Sure. Um, the Mojaves initially sequestered Oatman and resisted the request. They were like, no, 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 no. And then at some point they were like, she's not even white. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, you know. Hey, you she know. She probably developed a pretty heavy tan. Yeah, you're out in, you the, know, desert in the desert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they're also like, she's got these tattoos. We don't know how they got there. She was yeah. born with them. Uh, Look, we all were. You don't even want her. Rotten blue. Yeah. Um, so over the course of negotiations, eventually some of the Mojaves were like, yo, we really like her. And then others of them were like, look, uh, she wants to stay here, but also don't tell white people she's here. We're terrified. Okay. So Francisco takes a break, goes, hangs out with another Mojave tribe. And then he comes back a little bit later and he's like, look, I've got, I've got some items for trade for this woman. Um, I've got blankets and a white horse. And then mm-hmm. he also was like, by the way, the whites are going to destroy you if you do not release her. Yeah. yeah. And also, like, you guys haven't learned about the blankets yet? Yeah. yeah. Don't yeah. take the blankets. We're passing a lot of blankets around here in yeah. old Yuma. That's how Ayom got the flu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the plague. Yep. Yeah. Um, God damn it. Fucking fabric. <laughs> so, uh... Then there's like a full discussion with the tribe and for the first time with Oatman as well. And they agree to the terms. They take their fucking blankets and the one white horse. And then Topeka actually is like, cool. Yeah, I'm going to go with you, though. So she travels with her, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. She Um, seems great. Yeah. I am into Topeka. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she gets to the fort and everyone's like, yes, we found her. Um, And then she discovers that her brother's still alive and had been looking for her. What? Yeah. Uh, And then their, their meeting was like headline news. So this is the beginning of like the fucking crazy olive open stuff because like yeah that. because then that racist reverend releases that book and olive becomes like a curiosity right so people are like we mm-hmm. want to go we have want to have a meeting with you about something important and look at your chin yeah she's a freak now um yeah. so she was also the first known tattooed american woman oh oh yeah right as well as one of the first that's just because those clothes didn't show the tramp stamp back then <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> uh, Betsy Ross just had like, yeah <laughs> hell yeah there's That's a reason stars she wore long from. sleeves and neck yeah. height yeah exactly they all had sleeves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. she had a bullseye <laughs> she had an American Eagle on her twat uh-huh um <laughs> Anyway, Jesus. Olive Oatman was also one of the first female public speakers. Yay. That said, she came around like she was popular right around like um, the like the feminist movement had just fired up a little bit. Mm. And she was like, no, 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 I don't fuck with that. (laughs) So in November of 1865, she marries a cattleman named John B. Fairchild. And (laughs) does he be fair, though? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, here's their connection. He had lost his brother. 
to an attack by Native Americans during a cattle drive in Arizona in 1854, which was the exact time Olive was living amongst the Mojave. She killed his brother. I'm just kidding. That oh, that'd be, be so awesome. What yeah. a twist. Yeah, At least kill his cattle. Um, the two were engaged and married, uh, and then the racist reverend did not receive an invitation to the wedding, and Olive never reached out to him again, which is interesting. Mm. Point she noted. Mm-hmm, she moved with Fairchild to Sherman, Texas, mm. a boom town at the time mm. for businessmen mm. to not start a so new and prosperous life. No, no, not at all. What? Yeah, there's no Earl there, is there? Er, what? Oil. Oh, <laughs> I was like, I'm sure there's yeah, a couple like, of there's, Earls. There's definitely <laughs> Earls in Sherman. Oh, it's up near Oklahoma. Yeah. Um. Okay. Actually. Uh, one of the second cousins that I found on 23andMe is mm-hmm. from Sherman. Mm-hmm. And I believe that um, Gladney, the adoption agency I come from, was uh, either she was from Sherman or it started in Sherman, which was interesting. And okay. I will tell you why right now. Oh, my God. There's a lot of riots there and they're all about black people. Uh, 1977, <coughs> the racist reverend was institutionalized and died uh, in an asylum in New York. So, mm, bye. Goodbye. Bye. So, she, uh, Olive becomes Sherman's veiled lady because she's always wearing a veil because of her, of her face tats. That's the only way you can get a job at yep. a bank now. It's um, kind of, uh, what's his face from Age of Ultron? What's his? Ultron, right? Mm-hmm. Wait, what? From the Avengers. The yeah. purple guy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Post it's Malone. like that. Her chin tattoo is like lines on her chin. Thanos. Oh, you're thinking Thanos. Thanos. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry. Yeah, like, not who Ultron. remembers Age of Ultron? <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> um, the Purple Avenger. Yeah. That... No. no. Um, <laughs> so uh, she also becomes very heavily involved in charity work in Sherman. She was uh, really uh, active in helping a local orphanage. She and John never had children of their own, but they did adopt a little she girl. She had that, what is it? Rancid womb? Mm-hmm. Rotten, Rotten womb. womb. So they adopt a little girl and name her Mary Elizabeth because both of their mothers, Mary mm-hmm. and Elizabeth. That's um, how you make them all happy. And then she died of a heart attack on March 20th, 1903 at the age of 65. Oh. She is buried at the West Hill Cemetery in Sherman, Texas. Mm-hmm. Let's now, go there. We should. Mm. So, there is a show that I have not seen called Ghost Inside My Child. What? Oh. I thought you were going to say Deadwood because <laughs> they have an olive character oh, yeah. on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there was an episode, I believe in 2014, um, around a little girl named Olivia. Mm-hmm. Uh, really brief that story uh, her mom was a stay at home mom and they lived in a remote area on a farm the girl would start screaming every time her mom picked up the car keys to go somewhere mm-hmm. no reason As why toddlers do yeah um, she would withdraw if anyone touched her chin when she was five her dad brought home a guitar and the girl immediately picked it up tuned it and started singing as she played bullshit she had never seen the guitar before Mm-hmm. She told her family that she used to be a singer. She also said that her family had all been killed by Native Americans as they crossed. That's not the word she used because she's a child. As they crossed land in their carriages. She said that her sister died in her arms. She's five, by the way. 
Just died in your um, arms tonight. The, uh, her sister died in her arms and the Native Americans took her back with them and she became a part of their tribe. It was her responsibility to watch over all the kids and as a sign of being part of the tribe, the Indians tattooed a marking on her chin. Again, this girl is five. She knows names and facts. Hmm. Um, her mom found a book about Olive Oatman. And then uh, the girl saw a picture of, and her mom was like, oh, shit. And then the girl saw a picture of Olive, and she was like, that looks like me. Um, and then, yeah, so she, but back to, like, the screaming about the car keys. She had uh, separation anxiety so bad at five years old, she was treated for it with medication. Um, and it was labeled traumatic separation anxiety because Olive Oatman was inhabiting her. Mm. Yes. That's a shitty one to have inhabited. How come you never Screen hear about these five-year-olds? Closed. How come none of these five-year-olds get inhabited by like somebody who's like had a great life? You know, and then all of a sudden, oh, God, I, I know all of Ray Charles' music for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> they just like... Not that Ray Charles I had know, a great I was life. Like, didn't Ray Charles like <laughs> had a die of a shitty life. heroin overdose? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like still. They <laughs> just like <laughs> act like a bunch of cunts. <laughs> like we're rich right yeah wash my dishes mom oh my god i feel like my name should be paris i was thinking (laughs) paris as well but she's not dead yet no but she will be and some five-year-old is going to get inhabited by paris hilton and it's going to cause some sort of traumatic something and they're going to get a fucking reality tv show out of that Mm -hmm. uh jaja gabor is that who you're inhabited by where is she i think dead yeah so what oh. child has she inhabited mm. does this Probably explain honey boo boo no none childs no no just like no children like anna nicole smith i think we all know oh, that you're right i'm so sorry and look at stand my body corrected. uh gabor is probably inhabiting a, a young poodle i'm guessing <laughs> right she yeah. just inhabits very wealthy dogs yes that seems Which like her move. sounds awesome. That's what I'm going to do. I would love to do that. I'm just going to find the fluffiest little Pomeranian. miniature schnauzer and get inside of it and beg for treats all day. Yep. What are you going to do when you die? I don't know, man. Oh. I haven't set a date yet. Sorry. I haven't set the date. <laughs> okay. Proud. Speaking of people dying, uh, um, I got a new fun cult. Yes. Shit that is happening right now. <laughs> fucking now no more breaking news breaking news oh my god this episode is so timely for the day it was recorded like i said this is just now all unfurling so it's a little bit scattered and we don't have all the things but it's goddamn interesting so this is about a guy named chad daybell and a girl named Lori with an i Lori vallow so Chad Daybell, he's a piece of shit. I feel like I start a lot of stuff with that, but he is a piece of shit. <laughs> you uh, bring a lot of pieces of shit to the I podcast. Do, I do, I do. Yeah, you do. We love it. Chad mm-hmm. is a self-published author of dozens of books, Jesus. which already tells you very interesting. Um, all of his books focus on near-death experiences and apocalyptic events. He is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, and 
For those of you not tuning in via live stream, she just did prayer hands. Of Latter-day Saints, if you're thinking of. Chad Daybell's 2017 autobiography called Living on the Edge of Heaven. Oh, Oh, man. He stole the Uh, title from Aerosmith. Living on the edge. Of heaven. Of heaven. Chad depicts a deeply spiritual life in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Mm. from his early years in Utah, death and and near-death experiences for him. Um, His first near-death experience came in high school when he was cliff jumping. (laughs) He had just been injured in a skiing accident and was almost hit in the head by a golf ball earlier that week. Oh, wow. Talk about near-death. Wait, I think I know where this is going. Oh. Does this have to do with any billboards around town? No. Oh, I got some shit. He jumped off this cliff into the water and said it felt like he hit his head on concrete. And then he realized that his spirit was partly out of his body. (coughs) During those few moments, I could see the other side of the veil, an endless white plane in all directions. I also felt tangible energy particles of knowledge rushing towards me from all directions. I just soaked it all in. Did he just like look at a dictionary and pick Mm -hmm. words (laughs) throughout the book? He writes about being in the presence of spirits, both of his relatives and of others. He says he often feels spiritual presences and they intervene in his life directly. Mm -hmm. So obviously he's very, very into himself. Yeah. I think he's Um, just feeling white privilege. Yeah. So he, to begin with, obviously, he's an LDS member. He goes on his mission. Sorry, I can't not seeing Book of Mormon stuff while I'm talking about it. But he goes on his mission, comes back, and he meets his future wife. Her name is Tammy. He's like, what's up, Tammy? We're young. We're Mormon. Want to get married? It's been t- 10 weeks of dating. And she's like, fuck yeah, I do. Uh, and they get married in March of 1990. Oh, Tammy plus Chad forever. For real. Um, While traveling to San Diego, Daybell, a.k.a. Chad, said he has his second near-death experience when a 15-foot wave barreled toward him while he was near a rock formation on the beach. He said a voice told him to cling to the rock as the wave crashed down upon him. Like a fucking voice told you that? It's mm. just your conscious being like, bitch, save yourself. It sounds um, like this guy's too much of a wuss to do anything that resembles an extreme an sport. idiot. Yeah. He, quote, said, then my surroundings changed and I found myself in a proverbial tunnel of light. It wasn't a bright white light, but more like a yellow heat lamp. It felt like I was wrapped in a warm blanket or a cocoon and I felt very happy. Um... He said that his relatives, including his late grandfather, a.k.a. a ghost, told him that there were tasks that he needed to accomplish and asked if he would fulfill his assignments, and he agreed to do so. So Daybell is married to Tammy. They've got five kids. Like He writes a novel called Escape to Zion, in 2000, um, where he reported that he dreamed, quote, that the Twin Towers in New York City were burning. 
he included the dream in the book. And well, I mean, did he dream yeah. that prior to 9-11 or yep. after? Because okay. in 2000, mm-hmm. he's put it in the book and said it kind of threw me a loop for a loop when it actually happened a year later. Um, he also said he had visions of one of his children being run over a car, which did not happen. Um, he's working, trying to publish his books, blah, blah, blah. It's not really happening. He does publish another novel, self-published call or that outlines the decline and downfall of the United States because of an upcoming foreign invasion of America. So, uh, is that foreign invasion pathogens by any chance? Oh, I, I think he's just being racist, but it could be pathogens. Who knows? Mm. Um, during the Great Recession, no, I guess that would be 2008 ish, right? Is that the new one? Uh, um, sure. Tammy and his relationship is going downhill, and Tammy gets really into playing a game called Frontierville. Which is a spinoff oh, of yeah. Farmville. I played that. Probably because Tammy hates her fucking life. Yeah. And he or tells. she was inhabited by Olive Oatman. Could be. <laughs> he tells Tammy that a vision of Tammy's grandmother appeared to him and told him to tell Tammy that she needed to quit her damn computer game cold turkey oh what no dick. you can't quit frontierville code t- who's gonna yeah. harvest that fucking wait so the thing about tammy and chad is that he also <laughs> predicted the episode name for sure yeah tammy and chad uh tammy he's like tammy oh my god on top of my 9-11 prediction i predict that you're gonna die soon and it's like, wait, uh, what? Uh, that's and in October of twenty nineteen, Tammy dies of what was originally declared natural causes, but at this moment is now being investigated. <sighs> Chad Daybell had increased her life insurance before her death yeah. and refused to have an autopsy despite the sudden and unexpected nature of his late wife's death. Can you just do that? I mean, if they don't suspect you, I guess. I don't know if you, like, if you can refuse. I guess you can refuse an autopsy. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're, like, the the person in charge of that, which he would be, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Next let's of jump. Kin, is that what they call it? Next of kin. Let's <laughs> jump over to Lori Vallow. Oh. Lori is, becomes the second wife of Chad. Um, She had been married before her she had two children from her previous marriage and um they got divorced back in the early 2000s her ex-husband ends up dying and she gets remarried and um the new guy and her adopt or no never mind so she gets remarried they have these kids Lori has always been uh, interested in the end times and kind of attracted to cult-like religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, after she had gotten divorced, she remarries a guy named Charles Vallow, hence her last name, in 2006. They adopt a son together. 
He is named Joshua. He goes by JJ. He's seven years old. And um, so that means Charles and Lori have a son who is older, or her son, a daughter named Tylee Ryan from her first marriage. Yeah, She's 17. And then they have JJ, who is seven years old. He also is a little, he's special needs, the kid that they adopted. On July uh, July 11th, 2019, Charles Vallow is shot and killed (gasps) during an argument with Lori's brother, Alex. And that's super weird, right? In December of 2019, so only a few months later, Alex dies from, quote, unknown conditions without ever being charged with his former brother-in-law's murder. So it sounds like, okay. So. Hmm. I feel like I need a whiteboard for this. Yeah. Lori's husband, dead. Mm Mm-hmm. Both of them, actually. The other one wasn't from that, though. So <laughs> Lori's husband is dead. Chad's wife just also unexpectedly dead, all within 2019. Okay. A few weeks after Chad's wife dies, Lori and Chad get married. And they start this thing called Preparing a People. And Preparing a People is a forum for LDS members who believe in intense doomsday prepping and end times. They host public speaking events, podcasts, and Lori and Chad are on all this shit. That's where they find an audience for radical LDS members. So Lori's relatives are like, this is fucked up. You have three children and now you're involved with this crazy group uh of doomsdayers and we're uncomfortable um (laughs) a guy named brandon bordeaux he ends up being the ex-husband of Lori vallow's niece um he's like I'm pretty sure that she convinced my niece to come into this thing and she divorced me after it. Like shit's pretty fucked up. Um, And they're publishing all this stuff. You can go to the website. Oh, there's there's a website about their. I, I bet you could also Google it. So if you look preparing a people preparing a people preparing a people dot com. If you go there, they got a dot com. They've got a dot com. It's a very unattractive website, but there's a statement on there from December 2019. Um, Anyways, so Lori and Chad are. Uh, It's the waves came at me. Yeah, right. Also, there's waves in the background. Watch out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So. Obviously, they think the end of the world is coming. They are predicting that it's coming in July of 2020. Probably, probably. I bet they're like, coronavirus, hello. Oh, yeah, this is just making them, like, come. Oh. Oh. So. That's what those waves are. It's just title come. Before Charles Vallow was murdered, he was trying to get a divorce from Lori and he claimed that she was 
or he said that she had told him and his kids that she was a god and she was preparing for Christ's second coming in July of 2020. Mm. Quote, she had was receiving spiritual revelations and visions to help her gather and prepare those chosen to live in the new Jerusalem after the great war as prophesied in the book of revelations. She, so uh, so yeah. is this Mormon or revelations? LDS is Mormon. Okay. Yeah. But no revelations do, is regular. Bible. I thought, yeah, I thought Jerusalem didn't exist to the Mormons pretty much. No, it, does they believe that the 13th tribe of Israel okay. came over to America. Came over to America. Okay. Buried some shit, then and left. John, is it? Geocached it? What's his name? Smith. Like, yeah, geocached it. Found it, dug yeah. it up. Mm-hmm. Literally everything I know about Mormon people is from the Book of Mormon. So. <laughs> well, um, you mean the musical. The musical. Yeah, yes. There's not, an actual. <laughs> not the actual Book which of is, Mormon. Which is a good way to which actually I learn everything tra- there is to know about I, Mormon I people. I just study every day. Yeah. Um, I have one. She claimed to be a translated being who could not taste death sent by God to lead 144,000 people into the millennium. Uh, Charles, her deceased husband, said that Lori had threatened to murder him and threatened to kill him if he ever got in her way. She moved large sums of money into an unknown bank account prior to their divorce and his subsequent murder. Um, She was very hysterical and intense, though I don't really like the word hysterical. Um, In one conversation, a relative reported that she had expressed a desire to, quote, drive the kids off of a cliff to spare them from the inevitable horrors of the end times. Um, So this is where the two kids come in. Taylee, is that what her name was? I'm sorry. I should know it. I think that's it. And JJ. So they go to Yellowstone National Park in September of 2019. The two kids and Lori and Chad. And since that day, nobody has seen the two kids. What? They're gone. That's a matter for the police. So after Lori had been so fucking crazy... And the family members of them who aren't really buying into this realize that they haven't really heard from them at all and haven't heard about the kids. So neither Vala, Lori, or Chad ever reported them missing. Police go to conduct a welfare check at their house to ask about JJ, who is special needs and is adopted. And Chad and Lori claim that the two children were staying with a friend or relatives in Arizona. And they're like, um, okay. They go back to the station to get a warrant and it's issued a day later. They go back to the house and Lori and Chad are gone. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. Wait, when was this? Like 2019, September okay. 8th, 2019. Um, so Lori and Chad went by themselves to Hawaii. Uh, In Hawaii, there are no children. (laughs) 
They obviously don't have their kids with them. Um, they're just kind of fucking around. And the court orders Lori to produce her children like she's been, I don't know, subpoenaed, whatever the fuck it is. Like you have to bring your kids in to court in January. And she never shows up. They issue a warrant for their arrest. And Lori is arrested in Kauai on February 20th, 2020. She's charged with resisting or obstructing officers, criminal solicitation to commit a crime, two felony counts of desertion and non-support of dependent children and contempt of court for willfully violating a court order. And she gets put on... Did dog get her? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. She's being held on five a five million dollar bond. This was issued in Madison County, Indiana, where they had been ordered to produce JJ and Tylee, which never happened. Um, currently, the whereabouts of JJ and Tylee are still completely unknown. What those kids are just out there missing? People think that they are dead. They think that they're somewhere in Yellowstone. Um, but nobody has found them yet. Uh, she was forced to attend a court date on March 6, 2020. And the new charges are two felony counts of desertion and non-support, a misdemeanor charge for restricting or obstructing officers, misdemeanor for criminal solicitation to commit a crime and and contempt of court and on march 6th also after that her bal- her bond was lowered to a million dollars which i don't really understand that like why fucking lower it if you haven't found the kids um her bond conditions are that she has to waive extradition uh, she cannot leave Bonneville, Madison, Jefferson, and Fremont counties, and she has to wear a 24-7 ankle monitor. Huh. Um, so... The dog got her. Dog got her. But anyways, this is unfolding right now as we speak. Yeah. Um, sure there, this is the story that will captivate the nation over the next few days, I, I'm sure. I, I mean... <laughs> I, I it, this is I one know. of those stories you know we're that'll gonna keep be, track of it that'll be covered be or be covered up because mm-hmm. of coronavirus exactly i kind of feel like that way mcmillions about was when 9 11 happened exactly mcmillions 9 11 cory feldman, Corey feldman. Hey, you know what it's probably the hollywood elite doing all it's this probably tom hanks tom oh tom hanks didn't do it He's mm-hmm. trying to save America from Corey he Feldman is, is what he he's is. doing. He's trying to save America. Just That's probably who Corey Feldman was. Us. He was going to name Tom Hanks and we we're all going to go. Don't oh. say that. I've seen some shit on Reddit. Yeah, I know. America's dad. Anyways. Yeah. I'm pissed that Tylee and JJ are still missing. Yeah. I assume that they're dead. I also forgot to say. Corey or Lori, sorry, not Corey. You're fucking me up with your Corey Haim or Corey Feldman. <laughs> sorry, P. Corey Haim. Sorry. Um, yeah, uh, that same guy who was like married to her niece got shot at what? from a car, and 
they traced the car back to Lori because it was her deceased husband's car and she like they like tried to kill that guy also. Anyways, it's all fucked up. Hmm. But there's Wait, not a whole 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 lot though? out there. Where's the dude? I don't know. Okay. I assume he's in custody. Most of it's about Lori because she's the one whose kids are missing. Right. Like he I mean, really, other than probably murdering his wife, um, and they are reopening that because they don't believe that she actually died of natural causes anymore. Um, yeah. Mm. So. I don't believe that anybody dies of natural causes anymore. Yeah, right. It's There's just no not a such thing. thing. Yeah. <sighs> Anyways, if you want to buy any of Chad's 25 self-published books, don't, oh. don't do it. What a, fuck that guy. Fuck what Chad. a psycho. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, while we were talking, travel to and from Europe was banned. So. Oh, oh shit. Mm. Also, the NBA. Well, and the NBA and canceled. And the NBA was canceled. Yep. Also, uh, Whitney, I did send you, uh, I put a link in our chat. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay, what is it? Well, it reminded me of um, when you were talking about like this guy like almost got hit with a golf ball and mm-hmm. saw God or whatever. Right. Um, so I, I don't know if you've seen these posters around town that's what's after ATX.org. Mm-hmm. But it's all about NDEs, mm-hmm. near-death experiences. Okay. And it's um, a bunch of uh, like pastors and shit that are like, well, science tells us. Um, but you don't like, you can't open your mind to the possibility. It's I'm, I just went to this site the other day, but I feel like this is a rabbit hole to get into. Mm-hmm. It looks like it. Also, I like the way they're web, like, I'm very it's attracted website. to their website. Great. It's great. Mm-hmm. Didn't we do, did I do a story about We NDEs? did have an NDE story at some point. Yeah. I, I, I don't remember. I can't remember who did it, yeah. but. Weird. Mm, the sepsis death. Jesus. Well, thanks for listening. This has been a long episode. <laughs> I know. Well, we. <laughs> no, I, I mean, we had a breakdown. We had to deal with some on air trauma. We had to process yeah. the Tom Hanks read up. <laughs>